0: If you don't know, uh, my name is Jake Johnson, and I have two kids that are well. One's running around like a rabid beast. He also just bit his tongue, so he's crying. Uh, Yeah, I I may have blood on me. No, I don't. Um, So that's Asher. He's going to be two years in April, April 24th, and then we have little Miles, who will be four weeks on Thursday. Uh, Four weeks, so that's a month old, which is just wild. So. Yeah, you can clap for that, too. Uh, one time, everybody's going to clap at the same time, and it'll be magnificent. But don't force it. Don't force it. Yeah, you're forcing it. Um, so it's good to be back and jump in. In John, we took a four-week break to go through a, a dating series, which obviously dating, marriage, all of those things are a, are a huge part of our lives. And so we thought it was very important to address that. But, I uh, mean, there is nothing that compares to just walking through the scriptures as we come to know Jesus, the I am, the, the presence of God, God in human flesh, that uh, a, a lot of those, as uh, our cool little bumper showed, this, these I am statements are just a, a declaration of, of God's nature, of God's character, of who he is and what he does, right? And, and so all throughout the Old Testament, God would manifest himself. He would make himself known to his people Israel, but also to the entire world uh, through his created things. So remember in uh, earlier in John 7, John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world and he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. He's talking about when he's leading the people of Israel, Israel through the wilderness, the wilderness wanderings for 40 years, that he's, he's leading them by a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He says, I will be your light and I will guide you into the promised land. That they would equate God's presence, God's provision, with this very physical thing that God was manifesting himself through, the burning bush that God was manifesting himself through, a bush that was burning and yet not burning at the same time, And so we have all of these things that God does throughout the Old Testament that we read, and then the New Testament shows up, and Jesus comes on the scene. where it is no longer through created things, where God would just kind of manifest His presence, but it was God in human flesh. So if you wanted to know what God was like, you went to Jesus. If you want to know what He wanted from your life, or what you were to do, or how you were supposed to follow Him, how you were to relate to God— Jesus is who you were to learn from. He is the visible image of the invisible God. So we've just been wandering and moving through the book of John, and we're going to be in John chapter nine, not chapter nine. John chapter nine, tonight, uh, we, I guess five, six weeks ago, we were talking about, "I am the light of the world, this, uh, this incredible claim that, that he makes saying, "I am the one that will lead you into the promised land, I.e. heaven that it is through following Jesus that we can have life with God and life with God forever. He is our God. We follow him. We don't follow anything else. And he also says that whoever continues in his word, a true disciple is one that follows him through the rest of their life, not makes a one-time commitment and then just goes on with their own life, but that follows him to the very end. they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. Right, he makes all of these claims, and the Pharisees are going back and forth, which is the religious leaders of that day, and they're kind of arguing and get to the point where they pick up stones to, to stone Jesus. Because he is claiming to be God. And if you're not God, it's not a, not a good thing to claim to be God. It's probably good that you would get stoned to death. but. If you're God and you're claiming to be God, then we should worship you. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were missing the mark on who Jesus actually was and his true identity. And so he's running, escaping out of the temple on the heels of these incredible statements to be the light of the world. Now, if you know anything about Jesus and how he works, Jesus often pairs his claims and his teachings with miracles. His miracles were just a a, a sign... That everything that he was claiming to be was true. It was proof because they were supernatural things. So that's why he would do miracles. Because, I mean, all of us in this room could go around and say some pretty outlandish things, but we wouldn't really believe it because there's no difference between you and I. Uh, We're just a bunch of normal, natural people. But for example, when Jesus goes up to somebody and he says, Your sins have been forgiven, to a paralyzed man, no less, he says, Your sins have been forgiven. And everyone's like, whoa, what is this? And he said, well, is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or for you to say, get up and walk? The answer is, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can prove that. You don't see this noticeable difference in a human being. He says, but just to prove to you that I have the power to to forgive sins, and then he looks at the paralyzed man. He says, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And just like that, this man who had been paralyzed his whole life gets up and walks. You see, that miracle proved that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. So Jesus is pairing these things in his public ministry. He says, I'm going to show you about myself and part of my character and my nature. And then I'm going to perform all of these miracles, these supernatural things, so that you would believe that I really am God in the flesh. So, question for you. if you If you just claim to be the light of the world that you are the light entering into the world and the world around you is darkness. You are the light of the world. What kind of miracle would you perform to prove that claim to be true? Anyone have any guesses? Anyone read ahead? Cure blindness. You are a genius, Brooks. Yes, you're saying, oh, you're the light of the world and you're coming into a world that is dark to give them light. What's a great illustration of that? give light to a blind man. Give sight to a man that has been blind from birth, that all he has known is darkness. And then when Jesus does something in his life, performs a miracle for the first time, he sees what? Light. This is the miracle that Jesus is going to perform to show and prove that he really is the Messiah. He is the promised one from God to save us from our sins. And so pick up with me In chapter 9, verse 1, we're going to kind of be introduced into this setting of how Jesus is going to prove who he is, but we're also going to learn a lot about ourselves because you're going to relate, you and I are going to relate to this blind man more than we know. So in verse 1, as he passed by, right, so he's running out of this temple so he doesn't get stoned to death. And as he passed by, they're a little bit away from the Pharisees who are like in the inner, inner, inner court. They're kind of on the outskirts now. He saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now, a, a couple of things to to unpack in that. There, there's this first, just kind of the the common thought of that day, um, is that every deformity, physical malady, uh, death tragedy that would happen in your life was a result of particular sin, either of your own uh, or your parents or grandparents, someone in your generations behind, uh, ahead of you. And so anytime something bad happened, everyone in Israel, especially the religious leaders, the scribes, they would say, well, there must be some sin in this person's life, and that's why bad things happen to them. That was the common thought of that day. And so when they're asking, this is even Jesus' disciples, they were saying, okay, so this guy's born blind. This is a great time to ask Jesus, did this guy sin, or was it his parents? Now, you've got to track with this. If this man was born blind, then when did he have to sin in order to be born blind? In the womb, right? He would have to sin in the womb in order to deserve blindness from birth for the rest of his life. And that was actually some of the thought process in that day. Uh, And these people are just trying to rationalize why bad things happen. Say, well, it must be a result of sin. And so maybe this guy sinned when he was in the womb, or his mama or his dada, when he was, she was pregnant with him, must have sinned while she was pregnant with her, and that's why he's born blind. I mean, I know it sounds pretty idiotic, but that's just kind of the way that they would rationalize things in their, uh, in their day and age. And just how I would describe this to you, because maybe that's not too far of thinking from this room, right? That uh, we kind of view the justice of God as some weird uh, sense of karma, like, oh, I did this bad thing, bad things are happening to me, and so it must be because I did something in the past, right? And we just start to do a little research of the last five years of our life and say, maybe it was because I said that thing and I shouldn't have said that thing, or maybe it's because I cheated on that test, and that's why all these bad things are happening to me, and we're just replaying all of this stuff in our head, and don't go down that road. That's an exhausting road for one, but two, it's completely debunked by the Bible. What we can say, and what we do know, is that bad things, broken thing, this world is broken because of sin, Yes. Genesis 3, we have the fall, right? And all things are cursed and the world is thrown into brokenness. There is now death in a world that there was not supposed to be death. And so all of the things that happen in this world that are bad and not according to God's perfect plan are here because of sin in a universal worldwide sense. But to play the game of particular specific sin uh, resulting and consequencing into blindness from birth, that is missing the park. Of what we are saying all together. We could go to Ezekiel chapter 18 and kind of talk about sour grapes and cutting teeth, but that's crazy. We could go to Exodus 20. If you want to read Ezekiel 18, go for it. You'll read and you'll learn uh, that God God gives individual responsibility to the sin of people in their lives. Uh, And so, yes, your parents, the generations before you, have an influence on your life, and sometimes you have to pick up the pieces from Uh, From brokenness and your your family's life and their decisions and things of that nature, but They are not the complete decider and impactor of your faith and so we could go down that road But verse 3 Jesus answered it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents So he just totally debunks that theology saying hey don't play the whole karma game Don't go down that road It's not because of his sin, or it's not because of his parents' sin, that he is blind. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Saying the reason that this man was born blind is because God had a plan. All along, before this man was even born, God had a plan to meet him as he was passing by the temple— and this guy is likely at the edge of the temple where people are going into worship. They're going into tithe and different things. And he's blind, so he's probably sitting there at the door begging for money. Because usually religious people are going to give a little bit more. Maybe they're feeling guilty because they're going in to confess sin and like, oh, I'll give to make you feel better, whatever. It's a very busy spot. And so this guy is likely begging for money. And he doesn't know that the, he is the product of a divine appointment. That God has had a plan to meet him here and to heal him, cure him of his blindness, so that all the people watching could see that Jesus really is who he says he is. This is a very particular case, right? But what I can tell you is that everything that God allows in your life, he will redeem. God's going to redeem all that he allows. Now, here's what that means. It may not happen on this earth. Okay, bummer, sorry. But there is an eternity before all of us, yeah. There's an eternity that we will, hopefully, if we have a relationship with Christ, live with him. And so the things of this earth, of this earth are just a vapor. And so if bad things happen, if you have loss in your family of close loved ones, if you have uh, hurts and pains and trauma and abuse... If you have uh, physical maladies or deformities or diseases or things that you have to live with your entire life. Yes, God in his sovereignty has allowed that maybe for a time or maybe for your entire life, but he is going to use it for the greater good. That's who he is. This is God's plan to use a world that has rebelled against him, but he is going to work it and use it for good. That's his sovereignty. That's his character. That is his plan of redemption for us. So before you go and shake your fist at God and get frustrated with him and forsake him, just consider for a moment that God, in the long term, might use it for good, even in your own life, the very least in the lives of others, that God is in the business of redeeming all that he allows, and restoring that which is is broken. Restoring it to what? Restoring it to his original intent. And when sin entered the world, everything was fractured, everything was broken. And God is on a mission to restore everything back to the way it was, back to how he created it and intended it from the beginning. So God says, this is for the works of God that might be displayed in him. I am going to restore what is broken so that people would see this miracle and they would believe in me. So this is God's plan. And this guy has a divine appointment he doesn't even know yet. And then verse 4, Jesus says, let's stop talking about theology of some uh, karma type thing. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what on earth does that mean? Daytime is when Christ is here. Why? Because Christ is the light of the world. He's the sun. S-U-N and S-O-N in this sense. So it's daytime as long as Christ is there. Because he has a plan, but just a mere months from now, Jesus will be crucified. And then the night has arrived. When Christ is no longer here, the light of the world is no longer here. Now, there's a plan that stretches beyond that, right? When the Holy Spirit will arrive in Pentecost and then the disciples and the apostles, everybody continues that work. But what Jesus is saying, we don't have all this time to debate theology. We've got some work to do and we've got to keep going because my time here is short. So Jesus says, let's continue on before the night arrives And we continue to do this ministry. Verse 6, when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, the dirt, the mud, and applied the clay to his eyes. Now, when you read that, taking mud and and, and putting it on somebody, uh, when you think of God working with mud, what do you think of? God... Mud, dirt, dust. What'd you say? Adam and Eve? Genius. This row is geniuses right here. Yeah, Adam and Eve. How did God create them? He, he breathed out into them from, from just the creation of the earth, from the dust, from the dirt, and from that he created mankind. And so when Jesus here starts to use this mud and he spits on it just to make it moist and he's going to rub it on this guy's eyes, yeah, a little gross, but... This is a callback to to the very beginning of creation, that God was the one that created the heavens and the earth, and God created man and and female. God created Adam and Eve because he's God. He's the one that's powerful enough to do that. And so what Jesus is doing when he reaches into the mud, he's saying, I am going to recreate. From what is broken and useless in these guys' eyes, I'm going to make them like new. Only God could do such a thing. Jesus right here is equating himself. He's saying, I do the works of God. I have the power to create and to recreate. And this is just a physical reality that he gives sight to a blind man. But he also has the ability to give new life, spiritual life, as we're going to see in this guy's story. So so right here, this is a creation that that Jesus is making him new. So he puts it on his eyes. Right now, this guy can like doubly not see, okay? Okay. He's already blind, but now he has mud on his eyes, just covered and caked in clay. This is a crazy thing. Like, we don't even know what kind of conversation. This guy's like, I don't know who this is. I don't know what's going on. But some guy he just probably hocked a loogie, spit in some dirt, and now rubbed it on my eyes. And now, look what he says, verse 7. And said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated, sent. So he went away, and he washed. Now, Before he comes back seeing, this blind man, it takes a lot of faith to go and do what he's about to do, right? Some random guy, maybe he had heard of Jesus. We don't know what he thinks about him at all at this point. Rub some dirt in your eyes and he says, hey, I want you to go to this pool and I want you to wash off this clay. It's a pretty crazy thing. And if you're blind it means this guy is just going to stumble his way to a pool, and everybody's bumping into him. It's like, dude, what are you going? He says, I don't know. I'm going to wash in this pool. <laughs> it's like, you're kind of crazy. You know, that's a little bit of a crazy idea for you to just go and figure out. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen, but this guy had faith in Jesus. They say, man, whatever, whatever is going on here, this Jesus, he might just have the power to heal me. And So it takes faith. For this blonde man to go and wash. And I'll just tell you, it's, it's not the washing that actually heals him. It's this man's faith in Jesus. He says, I will trust whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. Same way, all the things of this Christian faith, it, it's, it's not a, a baptism that, that saves you. It's not praying a prayer uh, at some point or coming up at an altar. It's not those things that save you. It's, it's a trust in Christ, in the Messiah. It's in his power to give us life, to give us light, to open our eyes. He is the one that saves, and it is our faith in him. That is the effective ingredient that we bring to the table. Nothing else. And so the only reason that Jesus does this whole clay in his eyes thing, he could have, Jesus could have said, open, and he could have done it. But he wants to test this man's faith. He wants to say, hey, do you have the faith to wander to a pool, doubly blind, and wash. Because if you have the faith, if you trust me enough to go do that, then I'll heal you. Jesus is testing this man's faith. And so he went away and washed, and he came back seeing. It's miraculous. Jesus heals this man. He wandered to the pool in belief, and he comes back seeing. So right here, what we have is a picture of all human condition. What just happened to this blind man is what has happened to all believers. You say, well, okay, what do you mean by that? Well, let's just start with the blind man when he is blind. He's born blind. The reality for all of us is that we are born blind. We are born blind in the darkness, where we don't see God, we don't have a relationship with Him, we're separated from Him. When you think darkness, especially when you're reading the book of John, you need to be thinking of ignorance, sin, and death. That's what the darkness is. It's ignorance, it's sin, and it's death. You are ignorant of what truth is, of what life is about. You are in sin. You're a sinful person. You have rebelled against God. You don't want anything to do with Him. And because of that, you're dead. Not meaning you're six feet under. But meaning you don't have life with God. You don't have a relationship with him. For the wages of sin is death. So you're separated from God. And the reality for all of us is that when we were born into this world, we were not born Christians. We're born apart from God. We're born blind. And who is the one that initiated this whole conversation with the blind man? It wasn't the blind man. Before the blind man even knew anything about Jesus, he doesn't see Jesus at all. But Jesus sees him. Jesus is the one that initiates this whole conversation with the blind man. In the same way for all of us, we were going through our lives. We didn't really want anything to do with God. That's my story. I even claimed to be a Christian my entire life. Obviously not my entire life because I'm older now. But up until that point, I'm 16 years old and I said that I was a Christian. But anytime anybody talked to me about Christianity or invited me to church or any of that stuff, I was like, Yeah, I believe in God, but it it really stopped there. It's like, I believe he exists, and I'm a good person, and I'll probably get into heaven someday. That's what Christianity was to me. That's what my relationship with God looked like. But for all intents and purposes, if you looked at my day-to-day, I didn't want anything to do with God. I lived for myself. And I was going down a path of saying, man, I'm going to live for sports, and I'm going to do all those things, and I'm going to go to... uh, college for tennis and i'm gonna try and make it or i'll be some sports announcer or broadcaster or whatever it is like it was just me 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 that was my life and as i'm on that journey in two weeks seven different people asked me what i believed about god said hey what do you think about god do you go to church somewhere what does jesus mean to you i wore a cross necklace we all did uh that's what the crumb thing was to do. One of our moms made us all cross necklaces, and one of my friends, she like, grabs it, looks at it, and she says, do you know what this represents? Do you know what this cross means? I didn't know. All these people were asking me these things. I had wanted nothing to do with God. I was just living my life in the darkness. But God had other plans. While I was an enemy of God, God loved me. God loved me enough to get in my path, to get in my way. And to open my eyes that I would see Him truly, what a real relationship with Him looked like. Because up until that point, I was blind, living for myself. And that's all of us. Every single one of us has a story. In some form or fashion, we were living for ourselves until God did something. We were all blind, not living for Him, living for ourselves. And God initiated that. God initiated our salvation, our drawing Him, us to Himself. So we are blind. And then by faith, God opens our eyes. He changes us. He saves us. He opens us up. And the first thing that we see is Him. And He begins to teach us truth. He begins to give us life and and holiness. We begin to live a completely different way. That we go a complete 180. And it doesn't mean if I become a sports superstar someday. (laughs) Not that that's going to happen, but it doesn't mean that I've forsaken and punted on the way or anything. But I don't live it for my glory anymore, right? I'm not living for my fame. I'm not living for my pleasure. I'm I'm doing it for Him. That my life is completely shifted in that way that I have been changed by God. And this is exactly what you see in verse 8. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, isn't it, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. And still others were saying, no, no, this isn't him. But he's like him. He kind of looks like him. He's begging and he probably was blind. Like they look similar, but obviously it's not him because this guy's seeing now. So there's a disbelief. They're like, "How can he change? Like, what happened in this person's life?" And, and maybe that's also similar to your testimony and your story. That when when God began to work in your life, there was a change. You started to live differently. For me, it was uh, it was pretty drastic in some areas. There, there was just a drastic change. In me. other things, they're still taking time, right? I still like to speed too much, and I'm God's still working that out in my life and sanctifying me, but. But there was a, a few things for me. I was a pretty critical person and made fun uh, of, of uh, my friends, and I was just kind of a jerk to them and just really wanted status, wanted people to uh, to like me and think I was the best thing on the earth. And one of the ways that I would do that is just make fun of other people to, to, for them to laugh and think I was funny, and that made me feel good. And that's just kind of one of the things that I lived for. And, uh, and so it was a Wednesday night where I truly would tell you that my life changed. God opened my eyes that I was saved from my sin, and the Holy Spirit just started to go to work in me, and uh, that, I think it was Friday, but I don't, details are hazy, because it was 10 years ago, but uh, I made fun of one of my friends in the locker room, uh, two days believer, right, and I, I make fun of him, I say something, everybody laughs, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was a good one, and I kid you not, I go home that night, and I cannot sleep, because I feel so bad for what I said to him. And this was a low-grade joke, like, compared to the things that I used to say to this guy, this was a low-grade, like, low-hanging fruit, wasn't even that bad, but I was so convicted. I could not sleep, and I go up to my, I mean, this is, like, one of my best friends, and we go back and forth at each other all the time, and I went up to him. He's not a believer at this point. He would later become a believer in, like, nine months, super cool, but uh, I was, like, hey, hey, man, I'm sorry I said that, and he looked at me, he was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, it was the most awkward moment in our entire friendship, because I just apologized, and uh, I never would have done that ever before, but God started changing me, and then before long, all of these guys were like, what is wrong with you? Like, where did you go, and who are you, and you're just nice, and you're kind, you don't go hang out with us, and you don't do anything with us anymore, like, you just go to church, and you're lame, and like, I just started to change, and uh, it took like a whole year before them to like, kind of get used to that, and, uh, and it was because of the work of God in my life. Like, the Holy Spirit began to change me in the same way for this guy. His was a very physical, different change, right? It's like, your eyes are open, but you like, you can see me. Like, we're making eye contact. There's a noticeable change in you, right? That's what God does. That's what salvation should be for us, that there should be a change in us and I'm not saying it happens overnight for everything and it's always drastic but can you look at your life and can you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in you that's a big question maybe ask your friends saying hey do you notice God working in my life like are you seeing have you noticed any change in me or am I just kind of living the exact same way because if you're a believer man we, we live for him when Jesus says, follow me, he means it. Like, we live his lifestyle, his teaching, his ways, that we are, are people of love now. I mean, that is a drastic 180 kind of a thing. So, so there is supposed to be a noticeable change, and all of these people are in total disbelief. And then I, I love this. So in verse 9, others were saying, this is him. Still others were saying, no, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, so the blind man that's no longer blind i got we I wish he had a name but we don't know his name but he kept saying i'm the one yeah 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 that's me yeah yeah i was the blind beggar yep that was me i was at that spot that's me whatever my name is yep still the one but i can see now i've been changed i am the one that has been changed by this man. He doesn't even know this guy's name yet. He's still in the process, but all he's saying is, I am the one. Verse 10. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? If you, if you like really uh, just repetition type things, you're going to see how six more times in this chapter. How, 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 how. Because they're trying to understand the supernatural, right? They're trying to grapple with this thing and say, how you guy that's been blind your whole life, how are you, nice? how, how are you now seeing how had this happened? They're in disbelief. How then were your eyes opened? Verse 11. The man who, who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. When you're sharing your testimony, your story of grace, your story of what God has done, More than anything else, keep it very simple. This is who I was. This is what God did. And this is who I am now. That's the story. This is who I was. This was my situation. This, this, I was blind. I was apart from God. I was living for myself. I was living for the the praise of man through the avenues of sports and jokes and popularity. And then God opened my eyes. Made me realize that I'm sinful and I'm broken. I'm apart from him. And no matter how good I am and how liked I am by teachers and respected by coaches. And and how popular I am at Crum High School. 100 people in my class. Not even that popular at all. No matter how many of those things are. It amounted to nothing before God in eternity. And God saved me from my sin. By his death. That cross, not that one in particular, but on a cross. God took on my sin so that I could have life with him. That's who I was. This is what God did. And this is who I am now. Now I see. Now I live for him. This is the essence of our testimony. This is our story. Our whole lives are meant to be a reflection of his goodness and his glory, that we're little lights in this world, all reflecting the light of the world. We're to make much of him, and so the more that we can share our story and of his goodness, the better. And see how simple this is. He says, man, I just believed that he put clay on my eyes, and I washed in that pool. I just believed that that he had the the power to heal me, and it worked. He changed me. It's the simple testimony. It's a simple confession. I've been changed. I'm the one that God has changed. I'm the one that God has saved. Now look at at how these people are going to begin to talk after that. Verse 12. They said to him, well, where is he? He says, I don't know. I don't know where he is. So they brought to the Pharisees. Uh, the man who was formerly blind, and now it was the Sabbath day on uh, on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And the man said, he is a prophet. So what they're doing, they're trying to get this man to take a side, right? Because they already don't like Jesus. Jesus has performed another miracle, and they're trying to ask him all of these questions. And he's just saying, hey, I'm not an expert witness. Like, I don't know all the answers in the world. I just know that he changed my life. Can I tell you, that's probably the most helpful thing that you can do today in this world. Uh, you can... Uh, there's, a, there's a great use and resource in uh, knowing a lot of apologetics and the things of the faith and how to uh, just rationally explain the things of God. And uh, there's there always a need for, for strong intellectualism in the faith. I really do believe that. At the same time... Uh, The core and essence of our testimony is very simple of what God has done for us. And so you don't need to know everything about the scriptures. You don't need to know every theology, every ology and ism. You don't need to know all of the really difficult arguments of the faith to be used by God. If you have your testimony of what God has done, if you know the gospel, the good news of jesus christ god can use you just as he is using this man they're saying hey where is he and he says well what do you say he is Are you is he from god is he not from god is he a sinner have you seen him sin they're trying to ask all these very detailed questions and trying to get him to take aside and figure out all of these things and he says all i know is what he's done in my life and that he's changed me i think that's my testimony that's my story of grace and at this moment, in the progression of this man's life, all he knows is enough to say that he's a prophet. Meaning, this guy is sent from God, clearly. Because no ordinary man would have the power to do what he did to me. So clearly, he's with God and he's sent from God in some form or fashion. So this guy's not fully on Jesus as God in the flesh. He is the Messiah train yet. But we're going to get there. But he's not there yet. But you, it's fun to just see as this thing progresses. And so verse 18, the Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight, until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight, and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? So they don't believe this, what this guy is saying is, Well, clearly he wasn't born blind, this is just a whole prop that Jesus is setting up, it's a sham. So Let's just go ask his parents and see if this really is a guy that's been born blind. Well, verse 22, his parents said that, oh, sorry, jumped ahead. Verse 20, his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son. And that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself, so they one can confirm. Yeah, this was our son. Yes, he was born blind. How he sees now, we don't have a clue. We don't have the explanation for it either. They're also kind of distancing himself because the Pharisees basically had all the power in their uh, in their country, and social status. That they would be excommunicated. They would be kicked out of the synagogues. They would basically be uh, avoided at all cost if they would were to side with Jesus. Okay, so they are, like, shocked that their son can now see, and they know it's like, okay, maybe this is the Jesus guy. But we know if we say this is Jesus, we're going to be excommunicated. And so they're not willing to take aside and follow Jesus at this point uh, out of fear of the Pharisees as they explain this. Uh, Verse 26, so they said to him, what did he do to you? I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. Verse 24, So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So the Pharisees are getting, trying to get this man that's formerly blind to admit that Jesus is not a prophet, that he is not who he is claiming to be in God. They're trying to get him to reject Jesus because all of the people are starting to follow Jesus. Jesus saying, we don't want any more of this to happen. So if we can get the blind man to reject Jesus, then this will all go away. But here's what he says. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. This is beautiful. He just sticks to the truth. saying, this is what God has done in my life, and you can't take that away you can't take what God has done in my life. Well, he doesn't know that this is God yet, but he can't, he says, this is what he did. I was this way, I was blind, and now I see. This is what we got to do, when you're out on campus at UNT, at Texas Women's University, NCTC, when you're out working, and people start to push you, they start to push you on your, the things of the faith, start to question all these different things, and then yet you can go to youtube you can google and figure out all the answers and try and figure out all that stuff and there's a place for that but more than anything else we just have to know the fundamentals of the gospel we have to know how god has changed us how god has set us free from our sin and how that has led to life change in us that's our story that's why i love this story because this man is just sticking to the truth See, I was blind, and now I see, and it's because of that man. He says, you can can argue, you can say whatever you want, but you can't take away what this man has done and the power he has. You can't take it away. So that's our story. That's what we carry on with us. Now, here's where the story gets spicy. It's pretty good. Verse 26, so they said to him, they being the religious leaders, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? So now they think he's some kind of doctor, maybe a witch doctor, some kind of voodoo thing, and say, okay, what exactly did he do to you to get your eyes to open? Because surely this is some kind of sham. uh, This is just a trick. Like, this couldn't be supernatural. Uh, They refuse to believe the supernatural. Verse 27 He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples, too, do you? What's one word in there that sticks out? Could be a different one in your, in your translation. He says, you do not want to become his disciples. You're all whispering, but I can't quite hear you. To or also, do you have also? Also. He says, you don't want to become his disciples also, do you? Or you don't want to become his disciples too. So what is he doing? He's identifying himself with Christ now. You like that? You see how this is progressing for this man. The more these guys are pushing back, the more firm he just stands. He says, oh, you're asking a lot of questions about this guy. Do you also want to start to follow him? This is the progression. He's starting to identify himself with Christ. Verse 28, they're not going to like it. They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We stick to the law. We stick to the Old Testament is what they're trying to say there. And the man answered him. uh, Sorry, verse 29. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And the, the man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God fearing and does his will, he hears it. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, this man, all of a sudden, is starting to spit theology to the religious leaders. He's saying, well, if this guy was a sinner, then he wouldn't be able to just perform miracles. Like, God wouldn't be using this guy to do all of these miraculous things. So by a logical deduction, he must be sent from God. He's just putting one and one together. He says, this is a pretty fo- uh, good argument, huh, guys? And they are just fuming. They are absolutely fuming over this, this man that has just been a, a blind beggar his entire life. There's a high reality that they walked past this beggar every single day on the way to the temple. And they held... People with physical uh, malformities and and things of that nature, they held them in contempt. Why? Because the common thought of that day is it it was because of sin. So they have this blind beggar that's just some sinner, just some scum of the earth that's lower than them because he doesn't perform righteously as all the Pharisees do. And in a matter of moments, he now sees and now he is preaching for Christ right into their face, and they have nothing to say. This is an unbelievable progression, and it makes me so happy. I just love, as we read it and we get to go through it, that now he is presenting an argument for Christ. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's the truth. He's saying, hey, if this wasn't of God, if this, if this is, isn't of God, like, this guy wouldn't be able to do anything, but he's performing miracles left and right, and so you can't deny that God isn't in this. As much as you'd like to try and explain it away, and that's what the short world tries to do, right? They try to take all the supernatural and explain it by natural means. That's why we have every single possible explanation for the beginning of this world, That's why we go to billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of years where somehow, someway, nothing formed everything. Because if you add more billions and billions and billions and billions, then it makes that percentage go from 0.000000000000001 and then you add 15 billion years to it. It's like, well, now that one moves a little bit closer because maybe things just start to bump together and time happens and then crazier things could happen, right? You just start to explain these, these supernatural things by the natural because we, we can't possibly deal with a supernatural God working in our midst. I remember reading, uh, not reading, watching some uh, TV show. I don't even know what it was called. Maybe some of you know. This is probably when I was in high school, brand new believer. And uh, they would have like the Bible explained. I think it might've been what the TV show was. And I remember watching one of them about the Red Sea and they had all these scientists out there uh, over by the Red Sea. And they were talking about like, the possibility that there was this super strong, like, wind uh, that could have hit the water at a certain way when there was a lot of people around it uh, that would have kind of kicked up the water just enough for them to get through. And just possibly, uh, that's how we can explain this super, uh, not even, they didn't call it a supernatural, but this, like, once-in-a-lifetime phenomena. And so they're just trying to explain all these natural means to eliminate the possibility of God possibly being there. In the same way with the flood, right? So, well, it's actually probably a regional flood or anything because it couldn't possibly be a supernatural God. This is what the world will do. They will eliminate the entire possibility that God would intervene in this world. That's what they're going to do. And so what we have to do is stick to the truth. The truth of what God has said. So I believe it is possible that God would intervene that God would change my life, that I'm a living testimony that God is at work in this world. You can try and explain it in a million different ways, but I believe this to be true. Pharisees aren't going to like it. 34, they answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out meaning they kicked him out. He's now excommunicated from the people of Israel. He can no longer go to the temple to worship. He can no longer be a part of their synagogues, any of those things. He says, you are no longer a child of Israel. But here's what I love about that whole thing. When they say, you were born entirely in sins, i.e., if you were born entirely in sins, that's why you were born blind. The Pharisees are basically admitting, you were born blind. So they just completely refuted their own argument. You catch that right there? It's like, oh, you were born entirely in your sins, you blind sinner. And then probably as they're walking, they like, say, oh, I thought you said I wasn't born blind, huh? I thought you said this is a whole sham. Right, the Pharisees, they've completely pretzeled themselves because they don't know how to deal with this. Some sinner that's now preaching the truth of God to them. So it's amazing. This is why John 9 is one of my favorite chapters. But life just got really hard for this guy, right? Because everything that he has known, being a child of Israel, being a part of the, the community there, he has now been kicked out of. So you've got to wonder, so man, what's about to happen to this guy? He is now lost in terms of, of protection, being cared for, all of these different things. Well, this is when Jesus steps in, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and he went and found him. Isn't that what God does? we're lost we don't know where to go and maybe family friends whatever community that we had before we just kind of feel on the outskirts we just kind of feel on the outside looking in that we don't have a place to a place to belong that's when Jesus comes after us and he gives us a place to belong he brings us in he draws us to himself and he's going to take this man deeper because this guy's already starting to preach he's got his whole little ministry going all of a sudden but he still doesn't know who Jesus actually is and so Jesus is going to take him deeper. Jesus says to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? This is a title for uh, Daniel 7, basically saying the Messiah would uh, a claim to be the Messiah. Okay, we don't have to go into more details than that. The Son of Man. The blind man, formerly blind man, says answers, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? I.e., whatever you tell me, I will believe. He's putting his trust in, in what he thinks to be a prophet at this point. He says, whatever you tell me, I will believe. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. I love that. You have both seen him. He's saying, you've looked at him with your own eyes. It's probably pretty nice for him to be able to do that. And now he is talking with you. Jesus has revealed himself. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ putting a decision before this man to commit to following him completely, to believe that Jesus is everything that he says he is. Or to reject him and say, I'm not willing to go that far and follow you. See what this man does, verse 38. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I just want to talk about salvation. Because you might be sitting here and you say, I, I don't know about, I, I didn't know about all of this before I walked in here. Whatever this Jesus guy is offering, I want that. So what do I have to do? Do I have to go to church for a certain amount of time? Do I have to know answers about my Bible? Do I have to be able to, uh, you know, give a certain amount to the church? Like, what, what boxes do I need to check off in order for me to have a relationship with this Jesus? The answer is very simple. It's just what this man did. Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. This is Romans 10. For whoever confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that whoever believes in his heart that God rose him from the dead, will be saved. That if you're willing to profess publicly that Jesus is the Christ, that he is your Lord and Savior, that, that you trust him to save you from your sins, and that you truly believe that he died on that cross but didn't stay dead, that three days later rose again, conquering sin and death, to live forever at the right hand of the throne of God, that we can have life with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And if you believe that, in your heart, if you believe that, not just kind of saying it, going through the motions, then you have a relationship with God. It's that simple. It is faith in Jesus. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. We've got a little bit of a riddle from Jesus here at the end because the Pharisees are listening. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, "Uh, We are not blind, too, are we? (laughs) They're trying to figure out, like, Are you talking about us? Are you saying we're blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, You would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Let me just unpack that riddle for us as we close. Those who see are the Pharisees, those are the ones that think they have a relationship with God. They think that God loves them because of their good works, because of their righteousness. They are self-righteous. They think because I follow all of these laws and because I go to temple and I pray these prayers, because I do all of these things, I see the way to heaven and it is through my good works and good effort. This was the way of the Pharisees, And Jesus flips it on its head. He says, all of those who see are actually blind. They They don't have a relationship with God at all because a relationship with God is not by works it's by grace through faith. And all of those who do not see, i.e. all of those who are willing to admit and confess that they cannot earn their relationship with God, it must be given to them as a gift by grace. All of those who are willing to admit, man, I can't save myself. Man, I am I have fallen short of God's glory, of his perfection. I am not worthy all of those who do not see, God will open their eyes. God's flipping it on its head. And when these Pharisees are trying to rationalize with all of these things and saying, are we blind too? Is that what you're trying to say? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. I.e., if you're willing to admit that you're not perfect, that you don't have it all together, that you haven't figured it all out, that you know the way to heaven. If you're willing to admit that, then you have a place with me. But as long as you go through this life thinking you can earn your way to heaven, as long as you can go through this life thinking you've got it all figured out, and you and God are buddy-buddy because of your performance, because of your knowledge, if you think you are somewhat worthy of being saved, you kind of look down on other people, you saying, you're blind. You have no place with me. It's kind of hard to process all of those things and figure out, you're like, am I blind or do I see? (laughs) Uh, Simple way to ask this is, if you were to die today, and this is hypothetical, but God asks you, why should I let you into heaven? What's your answer? Why should God let you into heaven? Go ahead and tell you, part of the answer is, God shouldn't, right? But if, if, if God asks you, why should I let you into heaven, and you start listing out your resume, you say you see, but you're actually blind. You start listing out your church attendance and how often you read your Bible and how many Christian summer camps you've been to and VBSs and you've been baptized and you prayed the prayer and all of that stuff. You list out your resume, your works, your performance, your efforts, it's all man made bridges that won't get you there. But, you say, Why should I let you in? You say, I shouldn't be let in. But because of what Jesus has done for me, I can have a relationship with you. Bingo. Your eyes have been opened to the truth of the gospel. I'll just say this and, and, and then I'll close in prayer there's any way that we can help you navigate that I know that's a big question and there's a lot of things to wrestle with that and 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 maybe there's people in your life that are wrestling with that as well please don't wrestle alone please don't navigate all of these questions and figure out where you are on your own that's that's why we're here we have a lot of fun uh and and we we do some really fun things across the board in in what we do but more than anything else it's for that right there So don't leave here without talking to me or uh, some of our other friends in the back because we would love nothing more than for you to have life with God and to be confident in your faith in him and not uh, just live your life in the ebbs and flows and doubts and just kind of basing it all on feelings. Um, So yeah, let, let me pray for us. Father, you open the eyes of the blind. You have the power to give life, not just physical life, but spiritual life. That that every single one of us in this room, I, I myself included, as I can't just help but but think about my own story that I was I was lost, I was blind, and I was dead in my sin, and I didn't really want anything to do with you because I was so caught up in my own life and living for my own glory and even when I wanted nothing to do with you and I was blind to your character, I was blind to your goodness I was blind to my purpose in this life you saw me before I saw you you had compassion on us when we didn't even care So God, I pray that our our song, our our worship, our praise, our testimonies, our stories would begin to reverberate all throughout Ditton, that every single person we meet, we couldn't help but tell them what God has done in our lives, that I was once one way, but God changed my life, and now I'm totally different, and it's not to pat ourselves on the back, but to give you all the glory, because you are a miracle worker. You change lives. You change eternities. You open the eyes of the blind. So, God, I pray for my friends here that you would, if there is anyone that does not know you, that does not have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that even tonight you would open their eyes, that they would come to grips that they have been blind, and they do not see, and they need you to open them. God, for all of us that do see lord i pray that we would we would carry ourselves humbly and not think it had anything to do with us but with all your grace and all your goodness and so father we worship you now in christ's name amen I once was lost in darkest night yet thought i knew the way the strength that promised joy in